You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Susie Thorpe talks to Lynn Asante Asari, a scientist and former PhD student who worked for Cancer Research UK at St John's College, Cambridge, and is now a medical student at Leicester. It was also Black History Month recently, and Lynn opens up to the challenges, misconceptions and burdens felt by black university students. I don't think it's getting better at the graduate and sort of senior position level. So if anybody's been sort of following the news, you'll see that recently Cambridge had the biggest intake of black undergraduates um, almost ever, which is absolutely amazing. But what I try to explain to to, to, um, undergraduates or anyone who wants to know where the issue is, is that at the higher level, so these are people who are going to teach you, people who are going to interview you, we're lacking diversities. My guest today is Lynn Asante Asari, a a former PhD student for cancer research in Cambridge, actually at St John's College, and previous to that has achieved a BSc University at Warwick Biomedical Sciences and with a year in industry and currently is a first-year student in medicine at Leicester University. Now, as you can see, that sort of journey that Lynn has taken is going to be very interesting to talk about. But welcome, Lynn. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great, especially because you have travelled in from Leicester. I've come all the way from exotic Leicester uh, this afternoon. It wasn't too bad, but I'm very happy. Happy to be back in Cambridge, yeah. Oh, that's really (laughs) nice to hear. And it's a pleasure for Women Making Ways to have you here. So first of all, why is it back to front? Why do you have (laughs) this amazing achievement, but you're doing it not on the usual journey? Absolutely. So tell us a bit about that, Lynn. Yeah, so I'd always wanted to be a scientist. So I set out initially to do science and to get myself in the lab pretty much as quickly as I could. When I was on my gap year, I wasn't too sure sort of how to get there. And I had an experience with somebody being diagnosed with cancer. um, And that uh, fueled my decision to go into cancer research. So I embarked on my biomedical sciences degree at Warwick, um, which was amazing. So many opportunities to do cancer research there. And then again, I uh, decided to do my PhD and I got a scholarship from Cancer Research UK, which is the best charity to do cancer research with. And that's how I then got to do real science uh, at the University um, of Cambridge. Uh, but obviously midway through my PhD, something happened and I met a few doctors and I thought, I think I might do medicine. Um, and that's how I ended up here as a first year medical student now. At Leicester University. At Leicester University, yeah. What were the challenges doing a PhD? Mm. So I think the first challenge is having a very steep learning curve. So masters, doing a masters after your BSc is there for a reason. So it gives you um, some, you know, a bit more research experience. It gives you um, a sort of entry into defending your research, learning to work with professors, doing experiments on your own. Um, And I obviously missed that one year of of doing a masters. So I went into my PhD with obviously a lot of passion, but and enthusiasm. But enthusiasm isn't enough really to get you through a PhD. You need the skills you need the the academics and so um, that was a very steep learning curve sort of learning to work on my own develop experiments by myself learn to explain my science to people in my lab on a on a regular basis um, something that I didn't have as much training as maybe somebody who who did a master but uh, gave it a good go. 
You must have had some people pushing you because sometimes these decisions are not made by yourself. You've yeah. obviously had some influences. Absolutely. Who were your influences? Yeah. So I've got two science influences and obviously one family, which is which is my mum's, who we'll talk about. Save the best till last. Um, <laughs> so the first was um, Professor Lorenzo Figerio. So he's currently the head of um, life sciences at Warwick Medical, um, sorry, Warwick Life Sciences School. Um, and he was very influential of just sort of watching me over over my degree at Warwick he had a lot of belief in me and just saying that I know you're young but you've got the skills so I can see that in you um, just just go for it um, the second person was um, Professor Steve Jackson so he's actually a professor at the Gurdon Institute here in Cambridge um, and I did a summer project with um, Professor Steve um, before my final before my final year and that summer in Cambridge with um, Steve taught me um, a lot of things about being independent in research and as we said being confident um, learning to defend your research, um, being able to reason why are you doing this experiment, why not the other experiment, is it cost effective, is it best for that data for the patients. And so by the time I went back to my final year, I had so much confidence just because of so many things that he, he taught me. Um, and he also um, encouraged me to you know, apply for Cambridge. He was also my referee. Um, him and Lorenzo from Warwick wrote my references. Um, and so the, the two of those were instrumental. And my mum, what do I need to say? Aww. She wants me to do the best and she's always <laughs> been very encouraging. Yeah. And you say confidence, but mm. apart from the confidence, the confidence has to come from somewhere. Yes, your influences too. Yeah. But it has to come from the work that you produce. Yes. Yeah. And that seems to me that you've been very passionate about medicine and being becoming a doctor for a very, very long time. Yeah. You visited your grandmother in Ghana yes. when you were younger. Yes. And did that have a sort of a monumental effect on you? Absolutely. So that was my first encounter of wanting to do something that involved working with patients in healthcare. Going to visit my grandma in Ghana when she was quite sick um, and seeing the sort of care that she received, I just thought, wow, you know, being nice to someone, giving someone time, speaking to them, making sure the family understand what's going on makes a massive difference to, to her health and to everybody else's well-being. And so that was my first encounter of realising that, oh, I think I want to be a doctor one day. I obviously went to do science and became the other kind of doctor, um, but that, that was where it started, yeah. you know, in Ghana, yeah. Then you did, obviously, your degree in BSc, in, yeah, your science degree in biomedical sciences at the University of Warwick. Yeah. And then, of course, you went on and you skipped the master's and you went to PhD. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to become a doctor then? What, what changed it for you? Um, so at that point, I was still interested in doing science. So when I went to Ghana, I did want to be a medical doctor, but that changed relatively quickly and I went down the science route. So when I started my PhD, my plan was to stay in academia, maybe stay in Cambridge one day until um, I'm, you know, old and settle down here. And I had no plans to go into medicine or go into medical school. So my the early sort of stages of my PhD were really about doing what academics do. So being in the lab, um, I was very lucky to get a teaching position. So I was teaching medical students for Girton College and teaching them biochemistry, cancer, diabetes. And so I was really sort of getting involved in, in the academic world, doing teaching and lab work. That 
was always my plan. But the middle of my PhD, I started volunteering for Macmillan Cancer Care. So they have a pod in Addenbrooke's Hospital in the oncology department. So if you are a patient or a family member and you just need some support in regards to a cancer diagnosis or nutrition, anything like that, you can just go into this pod um, and go and speak to some of the volunteers or a nurse that might be there. And I was one of the volunteers. um, And a patient came in and she said that she had been experiencing sort of vomiting and um, diarrhea and she wasn't feeling too good. Um, but she had finished her chemotherapy and she couldn't understand why this was still happening if she's finished her treatment. I remember this so well and I just stood there. It seemed like the longest sort of two seconds of my life. But all I could think about was, well, I know the science. I know probably what's happening in your stomach and what the chemotherapy drugs are doing to your body. But there and then, I don't know what I can do to physically help you. I don't know what you know medicines to offer you. And that was the defining point of uh, actually... It's good to know science, but it's good to be practical as well and be able to help people on a day-to-day basis. Um, this month is Black History Month, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. And it's really, really important to make sure we are aware of this. Now, you come from South London, which is where I'm from as well, actually. Thank you very good much. South we London. love South London. Absolutely. <laughs> we do, for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> Growing up in South London and mm. growing up in London... And seeing yourself eventually Mm. study all these amazing degrees and now you're doing medicine. In South London, do you think the opportunity is better now for students than it was years ago? Do you think it's getting better? Do you know friends who are having that same opportunity as you? Yeah, so I would say yes, just purely because of social media. So now um, you don't have to depend on your school to find role models. So you can find people like me online and there are YouTubers who are sharing their stories. But when I was in school, all you had were your careers officers and if they weren't sure what to do or they didn't have the confidence in you or if you didn't have family members who were doctors who could connect you with work experience or show you what a scientist, uh, you know, what a scientist uh, did and inspire you to do it, there was nowhere else for you to to see those examples and again because it's Black History Month you also wouldn't find uh, female examples or black female examples so you're pretty much in, in, in trouble and not, not many people from uh, from school who I grew up with went on to finish university or, or do anything like what I'm doing now um, but in this day and age thank God for social media and for people having a voice and visibility is important um, for that as well to make sure that we know well, who, where are they? You know, mm. who are they? Is Lynn in Cambridge? How would I find out that Lynn is in Cambridge? And so that visibility of doing things like this and being on social media and doing, you know, working with journalists or doing newspaper reports on the small scale of things, they may seem like not a big deal. But actually, one person might read it. One person might listen to the podcast and think, oh, actually, I'm from South London. I want to be a doctor as well. So if Lynn did it. Now, you mentioned that you were teaching in Girton College. Yeah. This was your first teaching appointment. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And it's at Girton College Mm. in Cambridge. Absolutely. How did this all happen and what was it like at the beginning? Yes. Um, So in my lab, um, someone in my lab um, was in charge of um, the course uh, in Cambridge. um, And so that's how the opportunity um, came, came through. Now, when I started, I was a little bit fearful. Again, as we said, we went back to the age thing. You sort of look at the general age range of people teaching in Cambridge or the, what you think when you think of somebody who teaches in Cambridge. Maybe you associate a professor or a white male or you don't think of, you know, Lynn in her early 20s from South London. So I had a fear of not seeing anyone who was like me who, who was doing it. But something that I learned very quickly during my PhD is that I'm there first and foremost because I'm a scientist, because I love biochemistry, I love cancer research. That's why they gave me the role, not because 
of anything else. So I thought, do I know the science? Yes. Do I love cancer and cancer biology? Yes. Okay, go and go and teach it. So um, the students were also amazing, um, and it was it was just great to interact with sort of the undergraduate community as well. Um, and I think very quickly I sort of got over. Um, looking a bit different. I think after a while, I just loved being being there to teach. And you say being different and looking different. Mm. Do you think that's the case still at Cambridge? And do you think that's getting better? Um, it's still the case. I, I don't think it's getting better at the graduate and sort of senior position level. So if anybody's been sort of following the news, you'll see that recently Cambridge had the biggest intake of black undergraduates um, almost ever, which is absolutely amazing. But what I try to explain to to, to, um, undergraduates or anyone who wants to know where the issue is, is that at the higher level, so these are people who are going to teach you, people who are going to interview you, we're lacking diversity. So you can bring in as many... Uh, black students, Asian students, and change the, the pool at, at the early level of their careers. But what we're not having is retention. We're not having students stay on to be academics or students um, get involved in teaching. Um, and if you don't have that and you don't have people staying in the system, you're not changing the you know you're not changing the examples. And it's like medical school year on year. Um, the majority of students are female students, so we don't have a problem with getting females into medicine. What we do have is later down the line in senior positions, that's when we begin to see things things drop off. So I feel that things are changing at the early level, diversity is getting better, but I, I don't think that's being re- retained um, at higher levels. What could we do about that? What could Cambridge do about that? Is that something that you're asked? I mean, are you on any sort of committees or any areas um, that, that want your advice? I mean, I would think that you're the first person that people need to ask yeah, about the situation. I, I would say... Well, no. So I, I don't regularly get asked, you know, as a, you know, as a black female who was here doing academics, what did we do wrong or what could we do better? Or if you didn't stay, what could we have done to, to um, you know, to retain, you know, to keep you? And it's a vicious cycle because if the people who should be asking these questions aren't diverse and don't have an understanding of the problems, why are they going to think? Do do you understand? Absolutely. If I if I stay and I was a black person on a panel or in admissions, I would be the one to say, "Hello, can you see that we don't have enough black researchers? We don't not have enough Asian researchers because I know that area and my eyes are kind of prying to see where there's a lack of diversity because I've lived it." Yeah. But the vicious cycle is that places like this don't have that diversity, so everybody there isn't really seeing where these problems are unless somebody speaks up and says, you know, sort of clean your eyes a bit can you see that we have a problem here but once I leave we go back to a system that isn't diverse who's going to represent these voices and who are going who's going to notice um, that things need to be improved yeah so I would suggest and this is my own personal view here Mm. that I do like quotas and so if that means we have to have a quota for men Mm. we have to have a quota for women Mm. and then we have to have a quota for black Asian Mm. Why is that not a why is that a problem? Yeah, so I, I love this topic as well because theoretically quotas seem good because it means year on year you will get the right the right number of black students or Asian students or sort of widening participation backgrounds coming in. But the the downside of that is about quality. You don't want people asking and saying, Well, as a black student, did you get in just because they needed to fill ten spaces? Yeah. Is that why you're here? Did you really go through the rigorous process of interviews, etc.? And so that's why people generally stay away from quotas. You want to make sure that everybody coming in is going through the same vigorous process and you don't want any black student who comes in to feel that there were just a number and they only got in because Cambridge couldn't find enough people. Um 
that's my answer to that. Well, that's mm. a very, very good answer. Mm. And it's nice to get an opinion, especially yeah. from you yeah. as well, Lynn. I yeah. think it's really, really important. I want to. So, on that note, the Black History Month, yeah. is it important to have more than just one history month? Um, how would we? How do we need to improve this? Because as yeah, you just said, yeah. we need to be aware. We need people who are on the same page. Mm. So it's all very well having Black History Month. Mm. How do we change that? Well, I think Black History Month. I mean, there's never enough time, really. We should have Black History Lifetime, yeah? Um, But we'll do with Black History Month. The point of Black History Month is not to say that one month is enough to discuss all of the sort of achievements of of black individuals, but it's just a focused time. What we're saying is that during that one month, our focus should be about finding the black people who have made movements, giving them a voice, looking back to the past, um, and just celebrating what we've done and what we're going to achieve. But my view on this is that black history is being made all the time. Any time any black person is doing anything that hasn't been done before we're continuing to make black history so we were also discussing the example of doing the first um, British Sign Language tour of the Cancer Research UK Cambridge Institute and that was done by two black women so we've made history by doing that and it may seem small but again every time as a black person you are showing up you are going to work you are sending that application you're going for interview Listen, you're making you're making history. So one month is not enough, but we're still we're still continuing on. Well, let's just focus on that. There's the sign language. This is a public engagement to try and get mm. more people aware of cancer research, recognizing yeah. cancer within your soul, and it's a way of publicizing things into other spheres. Yeah. So tell us about that because you made an amazing film with a lady called Aliko. Aliko, yes. Me and Aliko um, filmed um, a British sign language tour of the beautiful cancer research. UK Cambridge Institute. Um, Aliko is an ambassador for the National Deaf Children's Society um, and I contacted her and I said, hey, this is the best institu- institute you're ever going to see. I speak sign language. We can communicate. Do you want to come and see what scientists do? Um, and so she came and we did a tour of our institute. We did some lab skills, so pipetting. Um, I taught her some facts about cancer, so one in two chance of getting cancer, risk of you know smoking increases risks, etc. And then I taught her some sort of science sign language words um words as well and again the the point of doing that and why i learned sign language was just to improve access in terms of public engagement and so my passion is access for anyone obviously if you're black if you are a woman um if you're deaf i'm big on equal access to any community that is, is having any disadvantages so sign language was to make sure that all the sort of public engagement that we do at Cancer Research UK, which is amazing, is accessible for for people who are deaf or who communicate with British Sign Language. Well said. Thank you very much, Lynn. Committing to a community in Cambridge when you first started, I would find it really hard. I came from South London. Mm. I did a degree very late in life. Mm. And if I'd gone to university at your age, Mm. oh, I just would have melted somewhere. But you don't melt. I can tell you (laughs) don't melt. And strength is a very interesting word to ask. But did you have a lot of strength in that time for you? Did you you know what you were going to be coming against, coming up against, Um, rather? I, I would say no. So... When I'm deciding whether to do something or not, whether to do a PhD, whether to go to med school, I don't make my decision based on challenges because I've not seen them yet. Um, so I don't decide based on what hasn't come, I based on what I have. Um, so I went into Cambridge thinking, you know, I've got the skills, happy, you know, I'm ready to learn science. And I knew a few things about Cambridge and sort of lack of diversity and what, what that might mean. Um, and, and when I came, that's when I, I built some thick skin to sort of to sort of deal with it but before getting there I don't think you're ever strong enough to deal with challenges you sort of 
switch it on when you know as it's as it's going but definitely coming from south london cambridge is a very different environment it's, it's not just about lack of diversity because there are other places in the uk that are not diverse that you know if you go further up north you also get a lack of diversity as well it's the tradition and it's the culture of cambridge and and what it means to go out in cambridge is cheese and wine versus i don't know in london which is a bit more not cheese and wine my freshers week uh, in cambridge in comparison to leicester it's very different yeah. <laughs> and, and on, on that note dealing with having a thick skin you said you didn't really have you didn't even know you had a thick skin mm. until you had to use it basically mm, mm. Do you find now, talking to other younger... Actually, I mean, you're still young and yeah. you've achieved so much, but when you were teaching at Girton College, yeah. did you find that you were giving some sort of uh, guidance yeah. on this, how to not be knocked by it? Do they come up to you and say... Um, we would have discussions in regards to struggling with the workload um, in Cambridge. And the reality was, as a teacher, it wasn't really my responsibility to take a pastoral approach to their learning, despite the fact that being young myself, I could spot that, oh, I wish I could just take them to the side and just give them a bit more encouragement. But encouraging somebody isn't always so direct as saying to them, hey, are you OK? This is what you should do. Sometimes just giving them a friendly environment to being makes a massive difference. So I would tell a lot of jokes during my time in teaching. And yeah, I wouldn't be able to give them sort of pastoral advice because that's what their personal tutor was there for. But just giving them a change of environment that was academic, but also had a bit of, we say banter, as young people, a bit of banter, um, made, made a difference for them for them as well. Mm. So from a personal point of view, obviously we're talking about what you've achieved, which is fantastic. Yeah. And, and then outside your work mm. and your passion, which is obviously science and cancer yeah. and cancer research, how do you cope with your day at the end of the day when academia seems to take up quite a bit of your life yeah. doesn't it how, yeah. well, how do you switch off what happens um, so I'm a big gamer so oh, uh, games, really? I know everyone's really surprised and I'm like I am. if you're surprised you need to get to know me because if you come into my room <laughs> and you see my four old school game consoles you will not be surprised at all uh, and this is because one of my um, one of my brothers Michael Mensa, he um, works for a, a gaming company and is into um, sort of app design etc so when I was growing up um, I used to love playing computer games just to be his friends so if anyone's been a little sister before and you know what it's like to have big brothers you sort of want to get in the in the crowd um so playing games was a good way to like bond with my brothers because we have i've got two brothers william and michael we have a sort of 10 11 year difference so we, we've got a big a big gap so games was the one thing that i thought right i can get in with the bros um that's how it started <laughs> and then when i sort of went to uni i had all these consoles and would get the best games for birthday presents um so my last birthday i got the nintendo switch you, you may not know about this but anyone who plays games will know about the latest consoles so that was my birthday present just last year and that's what I used to to switch off to just play games and obviously when friends come round we get very competitive with Mario Kart uh, I'm still the winner they all know it um, but that, that's what I do oh, just, communal gaming well I, I know I'm, I'm often surprised in interviews <laughs> but that just takes it back I mean that's fantastic listen get yourself Mario Kart that's where you that's where you that's where you're losing out <laughs> I love it I love it how do you think not I get the impression you're not you won't be bothered by this. Mm. But how do you think people perceive you? Mm. So I think when they first meet me, I don't think anyone thinks anything at all, actually. Um I, I seen if someone's not read anything about me or if they not heard about me or know that I went to Cambridge or I'm doing a PhD, I think people would just see, Oh, there's a black woman and not really think too much. 
I think when people start to talk to me, they will realise that I am interesting, not academically, but as you said, I've got gaming and I do all sorts of funky things here and there. And so that brings a connection almost immediately. And that's just because of, although all the work experience I've done has been hard work, it's it's allowed me to meet a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people, lots of different ages, lots of different backgrounds. And that's how I've sort of picked up different interest areas that allow me to connect with someone very quickly. Um, so I think initially, no opinion at all. And then when we start talking, they maybe realise, oh, actually, I think she knows some stuff. And then usually I get people asking, so what actually do you do after we've sort of laughed about Mario Kart? They're thinking something is behind this person. And then that's when it probably does come out that, yeah, I am an academic as well. So obviously it's Black History Month, so black students as well. And say, you know, if you're if you're doing what you're doing because you're trying to change people's perception of you, you're going to get really tired. And all the things that you want to achieve, you're just not going to have the strength to be able to do it because you're going to, you're never, you're always going to be meeting people that's going to, that are going to have different perceptions of you. And another thing just to add is that, say in environments like this or research people sort of encourage the this idea of international environments if you've ever sort of looked to do a PhD or go to a certain institute they'll say we're the best institute because we're international and what people don't realize is that international doesn't mean that they know about diversity so if you're coming from I don't know France or India or China and you're not used to black people actually being in an international environment it's still hard, yeah. yeah, because they bring it doesn't whatever cut view, it, does it? it doesn't cut it. Yeah. So all they're going to know is what do I know about a black woman, and you're all, and that's all they're going to know about you. Um, so your duty isn't to try and change their perception. Your duty is to say, "Hi, this is me. Uh, I'm just Lynn. You know, I am black, and I'm a woman as well, and I'm from South London. I'm from Ghana, um, but I'm still just Lynn. And I hope you would, you know, sort of look past those things and just get to know me. And your point about it being a tiring process is tiring. a really important thing. Mm. I think that's half the battle, isn't it? Yeah. When we take out that whole thought yeah. about what people think, yeah. you then get on and do what you And I do just do. want to touch on that because um, some people might be aware of a statement where um, people say black people work harder or as a black woman I have to work harder or as a woman I have to work harder to get to the same place. This is not saying that black students have to do more revision to get an A-star A-level, have to do more to get first class. What we're trying to say is that we go into work with a heavier burden. So I look back on my time in Cambridge and I think about days when um, I've had someone at college say something really inappropriate about my race or about something that they've heard going on in Africa. And then I have to go into the lab with that, that burden and still have the same amount of time to do the same amount of science as everybody else in that lab, but they're not carrying that same burden. That's where the tide, that's what makes you tired. It's not okay. the work. It's not. It's not that I have to read more books just to grasp the concept. I'm just as you know academic and clever as my white counterparts. But it's that I'm carrying burdens and I'm having people say things to me and tell me I can't do things. Or you know, if you if you're ever aware of what the media discusses when they talk about black academics, it's always about racism or not only less than one percent black academics or um, you know you know universities are complaining that there is racism. It's not being dealt with. It's very rare that you get good news about black academics in, in the news. It's always about not enough racism, etc. So when I see a story like that, I'll be thinking in my head, oh my gosh, I'm sure my colleagues have seen this and I have to go into work and I'm basically a representative of that community. It's hard. That's where the burden is. It's Absolutely. not the work itself. It's all the other stuff that gets put on top of you that makes so, it heavy. So what? So I get the impression then that, that you would like to see more said about what you can do that's my absolute life goal 
look, we know we know what's going wrong, and that's why I have no sort of time for, you know, people who get invited to talk about, um, I don't know, lack of diversity. You 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 know this. You don't need to be educated on this. Everyone in Cambridge, even if you've come from a background that isn't diverse, once you come into Cambridge, you know what the conversations are. You know that people are concerned about the lack of diversity. I don't need to teach you that. You're very intelligent. What we need to focus on is the celebration. What have we done well? Um, and I, I always use the example of sports and music as an example because you don't look at a black musician and think, oh my gosh, look at Beyonce, she's black. You've forgotten she's black. She's just she's just a good musician, right? And the same for sports people, that you celebrate them for what they've done well and you don't really care whether or not what colour they're from or whether they were from South London or not. And that's where we need to get in areas like medicine and academia. Look, celebrate us because we've got that A star and we've got first and we're doing whatever. And it's the cherry on top that we're black and I'm a woman as well, right? <laughs> I think you're fantastic. Oh, I really you. do. I'm so pleased. And the future looks bright on everything for you, especially <laughs> now that you're doing your medical degree. I hope so, yeah. Medicine <laughs> At is... Leicester University. Yeah, yeah, medicine is... I think it's two things. I'm excited for it, but, you know, obviously I have been studying for a long time and every now and again I'll say to myself, Lynn, can you do this? You know, are you... Am I going to get tired, you know, at the end? And so those thoughts are always in my mind. It will never stop me from doing it. I'll still do it. But in the back of my mind, I am aware that, hey, look, you know, you've done things a bit differently. You know, you know, going into medical school, I've already got friends and I've already got a lifestyle sort of in place. I don't have the privilege of ignoring my friends and going out on Freshers' Week and starting my whole life again. I have to try and maintain what I've been doing, what I've already been doing. And so sort of the next few months, I've got a couple of conferences that I'm going to um, and I'm balancing all of this with being at medical school. So it's not... And having a social life. And having a social life. I try I try my best, but um, it, that's the hard side of it, you know, that I've gone into medicine with a lot of stuff already that I can't just just, just drop. And so that, that is a challenge, but, you know, I'm ready for it. And everyone's oh. very nice at Leicester, so I'm happy. Well, it's an, an absolute pleasure to have you Thank here. Thank you for Lynn. having me. You are an amazing lady. Thank you. And uh, we need more of you. Aww. Definitely need more of you. More come, I'm sure. So, Lynn Asante Asari, thank you so much thank indeed you, Susie, for coming for home me. and making waves. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. And that was Lynn Asante Asari talking to Susie Thorpe. Well, I was really impressed with talking to Lynn. She was loved her whole motivation in life. Yes, you can tell that. That really comes shining through. I like a lot of the PhD students that we have spoken to before. She really knows what she wants to do. I love that. The teaching, that was her first teaching job at Girton, Girton yeah. College. I mean, wow. I know. This is, this is, she's only about 24 at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. They they do such amazing things, these women, don't they, really? They, yeah. The, I agreed with her, you know, when you were saying about the... The quotas. Uh, the quotas. Yes. I absolutely agree. Um, and it's the same with, with, with whether people are women or black or wh- whatever. You know, I think it, it's got to be the best people that apply. The trick is getting more people to apply. Yeah. The yes. lovely, great lady, and I wish her all the best. <laughs> You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio.